What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the D.C. Sports Subtle. It is sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience the sports fan's paradise. I am Rob Woodfork, settling in my spot in the outfield alongside our own uh, Dave Preston at first base coach. And you can't talk baseball in Washington without our guest this week, Nationals Radio Network host Craig Heist, who always brings the high heat. He's covered the Nationals since their inception. And so, guys, it is probably one of the – I mean, the Nationals had their worst season in franchise history uh, last year, and uh, there's been little to no juice about them heading into this year. I don't think much is expected of them. It's just a matter of whether or not they have another 100-loss season. Uh, so uh, we'll start with you. We'll have you lead off, Icey. Uh What is there to look forward to for the Nationals this season? Well, a lot of young players. I think that's the first thing. And uh, you want to see the continued improvement of Cabert Ruiz behind the plate, Josiah Gray on the hill, uh, C.J. Abrams at shortstop, uh, Joey Manessis, whatever he brings to the table again after having a, a month and a half of absolutely unbelievable baseball last year for him after taking him 10 years to get to the major leagues. Uh, you know, does Victor Robles bounce back and be the kind of player that everybody thinks he can be? Big question mark there. I think their bullpen is going to be fairly decent. But again, it all starts with starting pitching. And they lose Cade Cavalli to the injury. He'll have Tommy John surgery. Chad Cool comes in as a veteran presence to take his spot in the rotation. That should help the younger guys like Gray, who's still developing. We'll see uh, Mackenzie Gore. That's going to be very interesting. And uh, again, it all starts with starting pitching. That and staying healthy. You don't want Dave Martinez to have to be running a bunch of players out there. Uh, who, you know, you're not going to have that consistency. You want to have it as unified as you can going forward. Now, is it crazy? Look, I, I think that Josiah Gray eventually this season is, be, is going to become the ace of this pitching rotation. He had a really terrific spring, one earned run on 13 hits, walked two, struck out 14, and uh, what was it, five starts, uh, 16 in the third innings in uh, Grapefruit League play this season. So, um he looked good in the spring. He was so-so in his uh, last season, uh, his first real full season uh, as a national anyway. And it, it, it's more of an indictment of Corbin maybe at this point, but I think Josiah Gray is going to be the ace of this rotation at some point this season. Is that out of the realm of possibility, Heisty? Not out of the realm of possibility, but again, uh, Patrick Corbin's had two very, very tough years after – you know, the 2019 season where he helped this team to a world championship. A lot of players have come and gone since then, but he's going to try to find it uh, for Dave Martinez. He is a veteran presence. Uh, so again, we'll see how the sinker reacts. He's going to have to keep the ball down. If he's getting ground balls, that's a good sign. And uh, again, I don't think he's forgotten how to pitch. Maybe his stuff isn't as good as it used to be, but it'll be interesting to see how he develops, uh, you know, as the season. Now, his last start in spring training was pretty good. We'll see if it carries over into the start of the season. He'll get the ball on opening day. And Dave Preston is a card-carrying member of the <laughs> Joey Manessis uh, fan club. Uh, how do you feel like he has a sequel to the 
uh, storybook rookie season that he had, Dave. That's the beauty, and that's the the fear that you have because you think, okay, he's only going to build on uh, the 2022 season, and then there's can he be Sam Horn 2.0? Uh, Red Sox uh, guy was called up 87 season. I uh, bashed a ton of home runs, and then didn't do much after that. So I think. You know, it's going to be interesting and intriguing to see what, uh, you know, Joey Vanessis does moving forward. Uh, I think two keys when you look at this season, what happens with their leadoff hitters. Last season, uh, I believe the team ranked 11th in the majors in hits, but only 25th in runs. And a big problem was getting the leadoff man, even the number two guy on base consistently. Lane Thomas, uh, if he's the, if he's your leadoff hitter this season, he's got to make it happen or whomever else they put in that position in that position moving forward they need consistency atop the order and uh, as uh, Craig has mentioned starting pitching last season the Nats had the worst ERA for starters league wide what was interesting is that i think they had the fourth most innings pitched out of their starting rotation if you divided innings per outing as one likes to do sometimes so i think their starting pitching is key and getting guys on base because it's one thing to have Joey Manessis hit 20 home runs but if there's just like when Juan Soto would hit home runs while he was in Washington, if they had nobody on base in front of them, okay, you got a solo homer, but you're not able to do damage, put those crooked numbers on the board. And that's one of the main reasons why the Nats offense really had issues in all of 2022. Hi, Steve. You're at the ballpark every day. Like you, uh, you cover this team uh, both uh, on radio and on television. Um, what is the expectation uh, in terms of like wins and losses, what are we thinking this team does this year? Well, you're coming off a season of 107 losses, and I've always said, and I'll continue to say, it's hard to lose 100. It's also hard to win 100 uh, during the course of a season. That said, uh, I think they're, you know, again, we all talk about the health and staying, you know, on the field for Dave Martinez. I could see this team being certainly better uh, than it was last year. What it comes down to, wins and losses, uh, I'll go out on a limb and say I think this team is capable of winning 75 games. 75. Okay. I got them in that 65. To, I, yeah, I, I had them winning 69 last year. I've got them winning 65 to 70 again this season. I think that they overperform in stretches this year where you're like, wow, this team is really on the rise. There are some real possibilities. And then they have that uh, that deadly August stretch where they can't get anybody out. The you know just we, the, the classic Murphy's Law stretch. The other thing we talk about was starting pitching too. Yeah. And, and avoiding, Dave, stretches like that is you can't give teams 29, 30, 31 outs a game. Right. You've got to feel the baseball. you got to catch the baseball because when you do that defensively, it makes your starting pitching and your bullpen that much more, you know, reliable and, and better. You know, those are the things that they have to clean up. I mean, defensively, this team up the middle should be pretty good because you have Abrams at shortstop. You have Luis Garcia back over at second base. So you're not going to see the throwing errors, I think, from him. And then, uh, again, Victor Robles, we all know what he's capable of doing with the glove. It's a matter of whether or not he hits. And Caber Ruiz behind the plate. I think that's a pretty good up the middle for Dave Martinez going forward with his defense. And I do like Luis Garcia at his natural position from the get-go. It's one yeah. thing to play. It's one thing to get shifted over midway through the year, but he's gone into this season from the very beginning, and he, he's you know manning the second base position along the lines of the infield. Uh, Carter Keboom. He missed all the last season. Craig, do, do we 
wind up writing the Carter Keyboom comeback story this year, or is the one-time Nats third baseman of the future never get to the present? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen right away at the beginning of the season. But uh, again, it all depends on starting pitching. How deep can you get this team into games and still be competitive? That's something that just didn't happen. And one of the reasons why, as Dave mentioned, the streaks last year, when you can't get a starter past the fifth inning and then your pitch counts at 100, you're putting too much pressure on your bullpen. And that's exactly what happened last year. One last thing about the Nats. They have yet to start well under Davey Martinez. Even the World Series season, they started slow. And you know, I, I don't I believe he's yet to post a winning record in April. Uh, last year, they never got to the 500 mark. They got to, I think, uh, two and three, four and five, six and seven, and that was it. This is not a team under Davey Martinez that has started fast or even started lukewarm over the last couple and, of 19 years. 19 and 31 in that World yeah. Series here. No so, I mean, it's, it. you'd like to see this team get rolling early. They have their first two series at home, granted against the Braves and the Rays, two franchises that are looking up to right now but they need to get a little bit of momentum because we've seen the last couple of seasons where this team has started slow. They've made a bit of a comeback and then it takes so much energy to get to near 500 that you wind up, uh, you know, expending yourself. Well, and the other thing about this too, is the the schedule is different this year in that where you're in your division, you're not playing all of your division 19 times during the season. So you'll, this gives fans an opportunity to see other teams uh, and, and, you know, other teams that you wouldn't normally see during the course of the year. So so there's not enough pressure in terms of the division uh, where you might lose, you know, a whole bunch against the Mets and then maybe not as much against the Phillies. Now last year, the Phillies own the Nats, but I'm just saying within the division, you're not going to have that 19 games a year. I know that Rob Woodfork has mid-August a series with, I think, Oakland. And he's like, sweet, I get to see the A's in August at Nats Park in the heat. Oh, that's exactly what I'm looking forward to. But what I'm looking forward to most, guys, and uh, and I'm curious to see what Heisty is going to say Here about it. Here comes the pitch clock. <laughs> yeah, the pitch clock, baby. Give me that pitch clock. Rush these games. Get these games over with. Two and a half hour long games is what we saw in the spring. That's what you can expect to see in the regular season. Maybe. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't buy into this notion that, oh, well, you're getting less baseball. No, you're not. You're getting more – you're getting a better concentration of baseball. You're getting actual baseball, and you're getting it in less time. There's less guys scratching themselves and spitting and doing all the stuff that we've seen over the years that slowed down the game. Why are you knocking all the things I like to do? (laughs) Oh! (laughs) I mean, really? Come on. (laughs) No, you know, the pitch clock – We'll see what happens. I think veteran pitchers with this, Rob and Dave, are going to have a little bit more of an issue with it in the early going of the season, at least, than the younger pitchers, because this has been experimented with in the minor leagues, and a lot of those guys are somewhat used to it. But we also had some some instances in the spring where we had a game end in a tie after a strike three was called at the end of the ninth inning. Right. And it's going to be, you know, as the games progress and mean something in the regular season going forward, I think you're going to see more players get upset 
And the other part about this, too, we'll see how the umpires call this now that we're into the regular season and whether they loosen the rules just a little bit on that pitch clock. Yeah. I do know that with a shorter game time, it gives me a better chance to catch the last train home, though. <laughs> At night, I can catch the last Metro exactly. before 11 uh, 25. That's right. And look, selfishly, I mean, it seemed like every time I had something to do after a Nationals game, when I would go to the ballpark, they would end up playing one of those 16 inning games. Now, if you play a 16 inning game, it's probably closer to four hours instead of like this six hour thing where people are having to, you know, come up with alternate plans other than the Metro. Why are you making this about you? <laughs> How about the larger bases, Heisty? Obviously, you're going to see some stolen bases, a little bit more. That'll be a big deal, I think, going forward. We'll see how that goes. But it certainly gives a guy like C.J. Abrams a chance. You know, a guy like Lane Thomas runs like a deer, a chance, more chances. It'll be interesting to see how pitchers adapt to the new rules as far as pickoffs go. You know, you get to that third chance. If you throw over and you don't get him at first base, then it's it's a balk, <laughs> and he takes another base. Yeah. You have guys that are going to have to get used to that. So you'll see, I think, less throws over to first base and more concentrating on the batter at uh, at the plate. Real quick, who, who do you have winning the World Series? Just preseason uh. to win the World Series. It's a pretty, I mean, look, there, yeah. there's probably about three or four teams you can make a case for. There's not that one juggernaut that you feel like, oh, they're definitely going to win it. I'm going to mm -hmm. say the Padres win the World Series as the final big FU to the Nats. <laughs> and that's what I think is going to happen. We're going to watch uh, uh, Childish Bambino out here celebrating another title with another team instead of uh, hoisting another one here with the Nationals. What are you thinking, Heisty? Well, you know what? As an American League guy and have been my whole life, yeah, it's hard, even though they used to be in the National League, it's hard to root against Dusty Baker and the Astros. I just think pound for pound, inch for inch, they're clearly the best team in the American League and the team that everybody needs to focus on, and they'll have the bullseye on their back. The Yankees, if they don't hit home runs, they don't score. And right now, their starting rotation is a mess. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how Aaron Boone tries to piece that together. I think the Orioles have an excellent shot of being an 85-win team, 85 to 88 and, and pick up where they left off last year. Again, that's going to have to determine, be determined on starting pitching. And but, but, I mean, their farm system, Rob, that's as deep a team as all anybody in Major League Baseball right now. They've got the number one ranked farm system in all of the game. I think Craig is spot on about the Orioles. I think they get a bounce by not having to play those 76 games inside the American League East. That has been a meat grinder for those teams. I like the Los Angeles Dodgers this year. Just, uh, you know, the way that organization is set up, they are built to win a world championship, and uh, I, I think they'll do so this year. All right, so let's pivot the conversation to football. The Washington Commanders uh, looking at a couple of different $6 billion bids for the franchise that uh, Dan Snyder gets to sort through. The main one I think everybody's focused on is the Josh Harris bid. That seems like the most uh, realistic. I, I feel like if there's a front runner for this, he is the front runner. Uh, Magic Johnson, a part of that bid. And uh, incidentally, RG3 is uh, talking about being a part of that bid, uh, going from shredding his knee at FedEx field to owning a piece of that stadium. How uh, incredible is that? But here's the thing. 
RG3 was Lamar Jackson's backup in Baltimore. So could it be? And the only reason why I'm I'm saying this is because Ron Rivera himself, even though he said we're not in the Lamar Jackson business, but if there's a new owner, he said we may have to come off of that. So if a new owner comes in and says, yeah, you like Sam Howell, but I don't. I got to sell tickets. I got to recoup some of the $6 billion I just plunked down to get this team. Lamar Jackson's going to be box office for this franchise, uh, at least initially. Even if it goes badly, he's box office. So let's say a new owner does come in and do that. RG3 has Lamar's ear because that was his backup in Baltimore. There's a relationship there. He's served as almost like a media mouthpiece for him in uh, in some circumstances. So I'm saying if that ownership group comes in, and that could happen as soon as next month, there's a pretty strong possibility that Lamar Jackson is a Washington commander. Am I crazy, Craig Heist? Yes, I think so. <laughs> and and here's, here's why. I think whatever happens with Lamar going forward – Whatever offer is made, I certainly expect the Ravens to match that offer. If it's going to be more than the 32 or 3 that he's getting. Yeah, 32. Yeah, 32 by the franchise tag. Yeah. I think overall Lamar has done himself a great disservice in all of this by not having an agent and having representation. Not to degrade Lamar in terms of how he's handled this, but – Oh, and, and we've an yeah, we've talked about that here. He, he needs to have representation, not because he's not capable of representing himself. It's because agents can do things that players cannot. They can work yeah. back channels. They can find out right. what teams are interested in you without it being tampering. He can't yeah. go and talk to teams himself. I mean, he can now, but you know, you can't work the back channels and find out what your value is on the open market without it being a problem. Here's the other thing. Everybody wants to talk about the MVP year in 19 and then the year following. But over the last two years, he has missed the last third of the season each year. Last year, they did get to the playoffs. And you hear a lot of Ravens fans talk about the fact that, well, if we don't have Lamar, you can expect nothing but mediocre. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I've covered this franchise too since it came to Baltimore from Cleveland. I'm here to tell you, John Harbaugh is a good coach. You can say what you want to about him. But he took a team with Joe Flacco to the Super Bowl, and he took a team to multiple playoff appearances with Joe Flacco and was very successful winning those playoff games. Didn't always result in the Super Bowl, but nonetheless, he's had a lot of success. Lamar is 1-3 in the playoffs. Over the last two years, he's been hurt the last third of the season, as I said. Last year, with Tyler Huntley at quarterback, they were an ill-advised leap over the line at the goal line from beating the Cincinnati Bengals with Huntley as their quarterback. So don't tell me it can't be done again and they can win with somebody else other than Lamar. But I just think at times Lamar's probably overvalued himself a little bit. Well, here's the thing. but The, the only pushback I have for that is I think he's overvalued himself in the sense that he can draw a fully guaranteed contract. I think he should get a fully guaranteed contract. And I think the NFL should have that available to franchise quarterbacks and find whatever system you need to in order to not penalize teams. Because right now, if the, the, the reason why they don't want to fully guarantee it because, first of all, owners don't want to cut that check. And also there is the right. injury risk for not just Lamar, but anybody in football. But well, because that's... of the injury risk in football, I feel like football players above any sport should get 
guaranteed contract. So, but the problem why uh, the reason why that's more of an issue in football is because you have a hard cap in the NBA. You have a luxury tax. There are options for you to mm. get out of a bad contract that do not exist in the NFL In the NFL, instead of resisting guaranteed contracts, they need to figure out a mechanism for teams to, you know, not be penalized so heavily for rewarding players who deserve it. And nobody deserves it more than a franchise quarterback. Well, you know, that's true. But again, he's one and three in the playoffs. And if if getting to the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl is the end-all, be-all, he has not delivered for this team. No, but here's the thing. In that regard. But now, what everybody's upset about, what everybody's upset about is Deshaun Watson getting that fully guaranteed deal from the Browns. If you don't think Steve Pasati wasn't just a little bit miffed by that, (laughs) he's not the the only owner in the league miffed about that. I think when you look at uh, Lamar Jackson, you look at him as a quarterback in the terms of wins or production above replacement, uh, that uh, stat that they use in baseball. I think it's significant, and I think that he is worth you know, a ton of money, and it would be something to see him in Washington. And you got to ask yourself, is it worth to have RG3 in the mix? Because you know if RG3 is an owner in some way, shape, or form, he's going to be tweeting, he's going to be Robert Griffin III who is just going to, you know, talk and come up with catchphrases and just be obnoxious. And he'll mean well, but he's going to be obnoxious and he's going to be all about himself like he was when he was here as a player. So I would like to see Lamar Jackson, or I wouldn't mind it. I think that with the new ownership group, whether or not you get RG3 in the mix, I think with the new ownership group, I think the way for them to hit the ground running is to try to make a deal in some way, shape or form for Jackson. But I'm not looking forward to RG3 coming back in here and being in our business again. But here's the thing. I always give pushback for two things. Number one, assigning one loss records to individual players. There's a bunch of reasons why the Ravens are one in three in the playoffs. And Lamar Jackson is not the primary reason why. The other thing is they went all in on him. They changed the way that they play offense and revolutionized was the was the word that they used before going into that uh, 2019 season that he ended up being the unanimous MVP, which by the way, only two players have ever done. I watched him as a passer twice have a perfect passer rating. Only Ben Roethlisberger has done that in NFL history. So this, so the narrative that he's injury prone, he's played 85% of the games that he could have played. Tell that to the fans this past year who were saying Baltimore fans, Baltimore fans are no stop. As opposed to what commanders fans. Come 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 come. First of all, there are no commanders fans. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying only he he left the perception Rob of a, he did not want to get back on the field because he's the perception he left. I'm well, not saying that's true, but right. that's the perception he left. But also and the business. And two, two years in a row now. I'd with the team in these debates, even though they wouldn't take a pay cut for their job. <laughs> Why should and play he, and risk his ability to earn? Like for every Dak Prescott that goes out there and still gets paid, even though he played and and got literally his foot turned the wrong way. For every guy who gets paid in those instances, there's way more guys who don't get that big second contract. And he's already lost a ton of money because these last two years, and yes, some of this is on him because he could have taken the lucrative contract extension that was offered, but he's lost out on a lot of money the last couple of years because Josh Allen has been reaping the benefits of signing his 
a lot sooner. And so, you know, in terms of the he can't be the outlier. He can't be the only guy who gets the fully guaranteed like the Deshaun Watson thing. I think I, I totally agree with you there, but you also you also mentioned to me about the one and three playoff record and how it can't all be on him. You're right, it can't because no matter he, who the quarterback well, is, no matter who the quarterback is, is yeah. you need a whole team around you. Right, right. And that's the other thing. Who's the but best? The problem is the problem is there against the Bills, 105 yard pick six the other way. Right. Uh, right. Against the Chargers, the year he did win the MVP. Mm-hmm. In Baltimore, in that playoff game, okay. they go yeah. cover zero, and he can't figure it out. He was basically a rookie dead. But my thing is this. He's a better passer than he's given credit for. He hasn't been given any weapons. I mean, anything. Well, who's he throwing to not named Mark Anderson? <laughs> or Mark a- Andrews. Andrews. Mark Andrews over there. And this was another thing. In a previous episode, we had this debate. Who Who is the best wide receiver in Ravens history? Not even just who's played with Lamar Jackson. You'd have to say, like, Steve Smith. They have never drafted and developed a receiver. So when you look in Buffalo, Josh Allen gets an elite receiver. His game goes to another level. We've seen it with Kyler Murray. His game kicked up a notch when they went and got D-Hop. When have the Ravens ever gone out and gotten him a weapon? They haven't done it. So to, to say, well, you haven't done this and you haven't done that and you haven't given him the tools to succeed, that's why I would love to see him in Burgundy and Gold. Not just because it makes our conversations better, but because... Mm-hmm. I would love to see what Lamar Jackson can do in an Eric Bieniemy offense with Terry McLaurin to throw to and Jahan Dotson and, you know, the weapons that they have in place. And I know politics enter in it. I know the, uh, he has to get paid. And I know that it's not just a clean, it's not like a Madden thing where you can just make the transaction and then, you know, roll with it. But seeing him with with the kind of weapons that they have in place in Washington, man, I, I mean, from a football standpoint anyway, it just makes you salivate. Even though he says it hasn't, I don't think there's any question that the Ravens, the Lamar has soured on the Ravens in terms of yeah. maybe the way there's right. he's been treated to this point. Right. That said, I fully expect him to be back in a Ravens uniform next year. So you don't think he's going to hold out? I do not think he'd hold out, no. Maybe, know, maybe up until the start of the season, but then again, then you're looking on that. You know, if he if he waits till the start of the season, who does that hurt? All that hurts is Lamar because you're missing OTAs, you're missing reps, you're missing training camp. He's not going to be ready to go at 100 percent Lamar by the time the season goes if he decides to hold out. I don't know. I see a Le'Veon Bell situation where he doesn't play this. How did season. that work out for Le'Veon? Well, Le'Veon Bell also was an old running back, which is like the worst thing you can be in the NFL. Jackson is a 26-year-old quarterback, and I think and everybody wants to keep comparing him to Deshaun Watson. Deshaun no, and getting older, and getting older, and with his style of play comes more of the possibility that he gets hurt. That's always been an overblown thing because he got hurt in the pocket, for one. He hurt his knee in the pocket last year. That's number one. Number two, he's never missed a full season. Everybody's acting like the guy like has missed most of the last two seasons. He missed, yes, it was a critical stretch the last mm-hmm. two seasons. But if he's you missed, look at his record, he's missed most of the 85% of his games. If I'm going to spend guaranteed money on a guy who's going to play 85% of the snaps, I will take that. And be disappointed in January and February. <laughs> yeah. No, but here's the thing. That's the difference. 
you give him receivers, you give him weapons, and I think you see the December, January, and maybe even February games turn a different way, Dave Preston. It'd be interesting to have him in Burgundy and Global Ward. What will they have to give up to get him? That's the big question right there. As well, it's going to be two picks, number ones to begin with. Players instead, but, but if they're able to work out a trade, would they have to part with uh, you know somebody from the defensive line or one of those three receivers that they have that, that, that are stellar? So, again, it's March. We, we've got the draft ahead of us. Uh, yeah. Long way from this being done. And, and, and that's the other thing is cap issues, too, if he obviously stops. becomes so, here. Well, and, and therein lies the problem. Washington doesn't want to pay for a quarterback. And it's just like they're building this. They're basically handing out money to all the defensive linemen. We knew you took defensive linemen in four straight drafts. And you've already paid the two tackles, which, yeah, those are probably the best guys on that line. I don't think that's, as a matter of fact, at this point, it's not really debatable. Those have been the most consistent performers on that D-line. But you've put a lot of resources into one position. So are you going to be able to bring back Cam Curl? Are you going to be able to get a linebacker worth a damn, which they have not been able to do? So it's not good team building, no matter what Ron Rivera says. It's not good team building to continue to just pour resources into the defensive side of the ball. And then, oh, I'm just going to patch in an undrafted rookie I had in Carolina or a fifth round draft pick uh, from Carolina. Yeah, right. <laughs> Went that's to North Carolina in college. Yeah, that's not good team building. If you're in, look, and I know there's no guarantees by sending multiple firsts and all this stuff and giving up the big contract and all of that. But even with that risk, Lamar Jackson would be the safest bet at quarterback that they've made really in the last 25 years because you gave up a similar haul for RG3. He hadn't played a snap. You inexplicably gave up two quality picks for Carson Wentz, even you though you knew he was damaged goods. So my thing is, if you're going to go down, go down swinging. And that to me is you're swinging for a home run and maybe you strike out, but you've been striking out anyway. This mentality that, oh, well, it's not good team building. We're going to continue to just, you know, pay our guys and, you know, just kind of patchwork the quarterback position. That's why you haven't won a playoff game in 17 years. My whole thing with RG3 is his career was ruined by the commanders, then the Redskins organization, because Alodinata hits him during the Ravens game four or five weeks before the end of the regular season. He gets hurt. He gets hurt. He comes back in the playoff game against Seattle and he hurts himself again. A little bit of a different injury, but again, he gets hurt. The following year, with no OTAs, no training camp, not one snap in the preseason, they decide to put him out there in game one. And how much that, of that was him? Because remember, like the the story, and again, a lot of that, a lot of that was Dan Snyder and wanting him out on the field. But RG three was the one all in for week right. one. Remember that? That that was his doing. But you know, the, he, he, he knew he wasn't healthy. He was the one who went to Mike Shanahan, and uh, you remember the famous line, "I'm hurt, I'm not injured." So basically, yeah. you know, seducing him to put right. him. Back so he in knows the he knows he's not 100. percent And right. then he's all in for Week One, and then he wants to be more of a pocket passer than a runner, even though he wasn't ready to take that leap yet in Year Two. Again, like you said, no OTAs, no training camp, because he was still working his way back from the injury. But again, like, I, and, and and that's the thing. And I, I feel like this is sort of the issue with the Lamar Jackson thing is that we keep comparing him to guys like RG3 and Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, and everybody's talking about the injury risk with Lamar Jackson as if Deshaun Watson didn't tear his ACL twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right. 
you know, there's every bit as much injury risk with him and there's injury risk with everybody because it's football. So that's my biggest thing. Has Lamar sort of uh, overshot his market maybe a little bit? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But still, he's a 26-year-old former unanimous MVP. And like j- just to act like this dude ain't worth it, I, I, I just don't, I don't understand that. I think if he had an agent there, he'd be somewhere right now. And that's oh, yeah, he there's found a question that. about he, that. He would have found something. So right now it's just – and I think if the uh, commanders had uh, a solid ownership group, whether it was the current ownership group being entrenched and being here forever or them finding a buyer uh, a month ago and a new crew, no matter who's in it, uh, there would be more of a chance of movement. Right now they're in the land of limbo. I mean, we saw with uh, the free agent pickups – the bonuses are now paid on a different timetable this year as opposed to the traditional bonuses because, you know, in theory, current ownership group wants to be out of the house by the time they have to pay those uh, signing bonuses. And and real quick, I do want to touch on the ownership thing more directly. With uh, Josh Harris, we pretty much believe that's who it's going to be, right? It's going to be the Josh Harris bid. I think so. And the other thing that if, if Magic Johnson is part of this, with Harris, I think he's kind of a low-key guy. The other person whose name escapes me right now, uh, uh, kind of low-key. But I think Magic will be the one to get out in front of the media right. and deliver the message for the team and for these guys owning this team. And I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off of them. It makes Magic certainly more visible, something he's used to doing. And I think that would kind of smooth things out from the beginning. But here's the thing. With that ownership group, Harris owns multiple teams already. Magic owns multiple teams already. It sounds good on the surface because obviously they have that experience, but doesn't that split their attention? How is Magic getting out the message in Washington if he's in L.A. all the time? That's the question. Good question. I think the question that I have, these guys are like with uh, with Harris, he's already got two other teams. So it's like the level of attention that is required to fix what is wrong with Washington. You have to be front and center for at least that first year of your ownership. Mm -hmm. You have to be present. You have to sit down and do interviews. You have to explain to the people why they should care about this team again. Now that Dan Snyder is gone. How are you not Dan Snyder? And it's going to take a while for those answers. You can't just do it at the introductory press conference and then we don't see you no more. Like, I think it's unfair to anybody getting ready to buy this team to ask them how they're different from Dan Snyder. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when, and we've discussed this before on here, you know, part of the problem with the NFL is that all you have to do is be filthy rich enough to buy a team. That's it. You don't have to pass any background check. There's no none of that. All you have that to counts, do is- That counts the three of us, Al. <laughs> yeah, hey. but- <laughs> so it's like, you know, uh, yeah. So there's more of a track record of the of the Harris team because he owns other teams and we've seen how he operates. And that's the other thing. Like none of those other teams, the Devils and the Sixers have been especially impressive since he's bought them. But then again, I mean, that's that's the great unknown. You you don't know. Uh, you know Robert Kraft, who thought that he was going to be you know the owner that he has been up in New England, whereas Jerry Jones, the first five years that he was the owner of the Cowboys, it's like, wow, he's got them on point, got them on. You know, they're winning, they're making money. They've been making money since, and part of it is that he owned, he's got his hands in the catering for every other stadium too, but they, they have yet to, uh, you know, play for a spot in the Super Bowl, not just play in a Super Bowl, but to play for a spot in the big game. So this is one of those things that it's dragged on long enough. It's like a slow water torture that I just, I, I just can't wait for it to be done. It'll be nice to move on. And don't rule out 
Jeff Bezos coming oh. out of nowhere with $7 billion to try and entice Snyder to uh, bury the hatchet. Um, we're going to put a, <laughs> we're going to put a wrap on this episode, but before we do, we want to put a bow on the uh, Maryland Terrapin season. Uh, what a great year it was. As Dave Preston has pointed out so many times, they, uh, they really weren't expected to get as far as they did. They gave one hell of a fight right. to the uh, undefeated defending champion, South Carolina. And uh, and Dave, who better, uh, who was uh, for every step in that process uh, to uh, put a bow on that season? Every year, Brenda Freeze, longtime coach there, has amazed me in what she's been able to do as far as putting uh, the right pieces in place. Even the years that haven't been extraordinary, uh, extraordinarily successful, she's still given the fan base something to root for, something to enjoy. And this year was unique because they lost 85% of their scoring for starters. I mean, granted, you know, Chloe Bibby was, you know, one of the kids who, you know, graduated and exhausted her and, and, uh, you know, Katie Benson had exhausted their eligibility, but lost a lot of transfers. Um, they brought in a lot of new pieces. And instead of the traditional teams that I've seen win under coach Brenda Freeze, where you've got a dynamic point guard, you've got a powerful player in the post. They had neither of that. They, they won with a lot of, twos three twos and threes you know they didn't even have an athletic four per se they had you know uh i guess uh faith masonis was sort of an undersized four large three who guarded a lot of people and, and did it very well so the fact that i think they squeezed every ounce of their ability you know out this uh season it shows you what working together as a team and coming together and connectiveness can do because they tied for second in the big 10 they made it to the elite eight in the ncaa tournament and I think at the beginning of the year, you thought that they'd fight to get that double bye, let alone second place in the Big Ten. And they, the fact that they hosted the first weekend in College Park, I, I think a lot of people thought, all right, they're going to make the tournament maybe, but they're going to be on the road. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to go to they're going to go to Columbia, South Carolina a week early as opposed to going and taking on the Gamecocks in South Carolina this past weekend. So great job by uh, Coach Brenda Fries and. Uh, we're, I'm excited about uh, what's next with that program. How tough a job is it for her, Dave, though, because of the portal and what that mm -hmm. brings now? It's. I think it's, it's a ridiculous challenge. I think you're seeing staffs have somebody specialize in, one, recruiting and keeping those players in-house uh, and making sure that everybody, you know, it's it, taking the temperature of the room, taking the temperature of every single player. It, it's it's pretty crazy, you know, a couple of years after the pandemic when you were taking your temperature here and there. Now, you know, I think there's, <laughs> there's daily and weekly temperatures being taken of everybody on the roster and how will they work together. And I think there is also someone on staff, it might be that same person, but there's someone on that staff who is looking nationwide, who they've got a list of potential players in the portal that if somebody hits the portal boom if they've got a relationship with them boom they work them i think as far as uh you know recruiting you've got uh lindsey uh, uh spawn was their uh, recruiting coordinator uh, is was and will be she was in charge of that this past season i think the key is for them is to build relationships with high school athletes and then if they go somewhere else you leave on good terms you say hey you know what I know that you picked, uh, you know, Ohio State or you picked Mississippi State. Best of luck there. And, uh, you know, we wish you well. And then if things don't work out, boom, you've presented enough goodwill to get them back. So with the way that staffs are built now, it's not just one coach and three assistants, guys. It's 
you've got your three assistant coaches, you've got your director of basketball operations, then you have a couple of other people in charge of scouting, in charge of this, that, the other thing. So there can definitely, with the way athletic departments are set up, and I'm sure the men's uh, teams have it as well. I'm sure the Maryland men are doing the same thing. You you can have someone on staff basically be in charge of retaining and going out and getting from here on. All right. Uh, this was a fun episode of the DC. Hey, before Sports- we go, can we can, can we show the uh, Super Awesome Bracket Cup getting to the Final Four? Crazy right. weekend where we got Miami, UConn, San Diego State, Florida, Atlantic. Shout out to Conference USA on the men's side, Charlotte. Wins the CBI. The teams playing for the uh, champion, the NIT championship, North Texas and UAB, both in Conference USA and FAU, who I think is, uh, they've got one foot out the door. I believe they're going into the AAC within the next week or two. I got to work with Heisty. But they are representing Conference USA as well. Looking forward to a great weekend for the men's and the women's tournaments, the Final Fours. Uh, Great game Friday night between unbeaten South Carolina, the best team in the nation, and Caitlin Clark, the best player in the nation for Iowa. There are so many cross-outs, Rob, on that cup. You can't even (laughs) We didn't do that well. I'm telling you, man. I mean, he is just killing the styrofoam game. I'm telling you. Uh, This was a great episode, guys. Great to have Craig Heist, our former WTOP associate and uh, good buddy here on the program. You know him as the Nationals Radio Network host. I am Rob Whitfork signing off alongside Dave Preston for another D.C. Sports Subtle sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. Heisty is unaware of this, but we like to clap it up to close out the huddle. Okay, instead of just multiple claps, Heisty, we just do one clap oh, like we're breaking yeah, the huddle. Just breaking the huddle, baby. We're going to do that again? No, no, no. We, we, we can't.